0: Welcome to the 178th episode of the 4th and Twenty Four podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at college football, Major League Baseball, and our weekly look at the NFL. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, starting in NCAA football, where Patrick went one and three with his NCAA football weekend predictions, And then in the NFL, Patrick went three and one with his NFL predictions, meaning ah, also this week, NBA predictions, my bad. Starting off with those, Patrick went two and two in his weekend predictions, meaning Patrick went a combined six and six with his weekend predictions. That brings him to a 519 and 356 overall record, a 59.3% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on
1: your weekend predictions? Well, just because we're not talking about the NBA doesn't mean we're talking, not talking about my predictions in the NBA. Uh, I've gone 2-2 and every week to start the season for the last three weeks, so hoping to get in the win column, but happy I'm not in the loss column that much. Uh, In terms of college football, this was just a crazy week. There were a lot of upsets, uh, you know, depending on who you ask. Texas beating Kansas State was an upset, and by ranking it was, but I guess Vegas actually had Texas favored despite being lower ranked with a worse record and on the road. Very interesting stuff in that game, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later NC State took a third string quarterback and beat Wake Forest, so uh, Wake Forest continues their tumble down. Uh, Looks like when you see what happened to Clemson against Notre Dame, the reality is uh, Wake Forest stayed close against a team that we had in the top five, but then reality is probably barely a top 15 team. Uh, And if you're staying close with top 15 teams at home, you yourself should not be ranked because you should be winning those games if you're that good. Uh, But then Tennessee beat Georgia. That was the win that I got. And then LSU beat Alabama in an overtime game. That was a classic game. Uh, if it had gone maybe two or three overtimes, it might be one of the most memorable in that rivalry. But definitely up there as is. Um, Alabama just kind of had issues executing. But moving on to the NFL, the Buccaneers beat the Rams after the Rams choked the game completely. We will talk about that later. Uh, the Jets beat the Bills 20 to 17. That was probably the biggest surprise of the weekend. The Vikings beat the Commanders, who had somehow gotten to 500 on the season uh, before that point. And then the Chiefs beat the Titans, albeit with Malik Willis playing quarterback, not Ryan Tannehill, 20-17 to in overtime. All right. Well, Patrick's weekend
0: predictions, as always, will be posted on our website, uh, 4thand24.com, on Thursdays. Let's now move to a quick look back at Week 10 action in NCAA football. Patrick, let's start with the best games of Week 10.
1: Washington beat Oregon State, who was ranked 23rd by in the first playoff poll on Friday night. Washington will surely enter the rankings because Oregon State was 6-2 coming into that game. Washington was also 6-2, and two, and uh, frankly, you could make the argument that Washington had the better resume already. But now with the win over Oregon State, they will definitely be ranked ahead of them uh, for the next poll. Then you have NC State, who beat Wake Forest 30-21. to I already mentioned a little bit of this, uh, but very good game that nc state played they were able to hold wake forest down on defense um and in general they just played a good game you you were surprised about that with the backup quarterback there um but in the end everything worked out okay for nc state they were able to get the win on or at home sorry not on the road um and then you know just in general in that game the acc is uh look it's kind of weak let's be honest i mean the fact that both of these teams were ranked um, and you look at everything and, well, Washington and Oregon State have the same overall records as Wake Forest and NC State. And Oregon State was 23rd, while Wake and NC State were 21 and 22. And Washington has probably a better resume than NC State. It really doesn't make any sense why anybody's ranking any of the teams in the ACC, to be quite honest. feels like they're all just kind of filler at the bottom of the rankings. Um, I think NC State has a good enough resume to stay ranked. But if NC State's going to be ranked, then Washington needs to be as well. Um, and also. Anything that we had about Clemson just kind of went in the just, you know, it, it disintegrated after this weekend. And we'll talk about that in a second. So well, let's get on to that, I guess.
0: Yeah, let's talk about uh, some of that ACC weakness uh, in 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 without being a spoiler.
1: Uh, give me some of your biggest upsets of the past weekend. Well, Notre Dame beat number four Clemson, 35 to 14, absolutely demolished Clemson up 14 to nothing at the half and at the end of the third quarter. Uh, both quarterbacks for Clemson came in and threw pick sixes, which is a great sign for their offense that somehow was eight and one. Um, don't ever ask me why this team was eight and one. Uh, don't ever ask me why the playoff committee ranked this team ahead of Michigan and ahead of TCU and ahead of Alabama, because I don't think it takes more than half a brain cell to figure out that this team was horrible from the start of the year. I mean, they were eight and zero, oh, but so was TCU. So was Michigan. Uh, if you want to talk about weak schedules, Clemson's probably a pretty weak schedule as well. Um, And just in general, it doesn't really make any sense that they were ranked so high because they barely escaped against teams that really aren't that good. And now that we've seen it, pretty much overrated teams, to be quite honest, like beating Wake Forest in double overtime now looks like nothing after Louisville, a team who was close with USF at the beginning of the season, Uh, beat them by like 30. Uh, so <laughs> there's just a lot of things that It doesn't really look like Clemson has played anybody after kind of looking at everything over again. Florida state doesn't look too great. They look like they're just kind of feeding off the bottom teams in the ACC. And also Notre Dame, as this is the biggest evidence, I mean, obviously Notre Dame had to win this game to prove this point, but Notre Dame struggled with BYU, Notre Dame lost to Stanford, Notre Dame lost to Marshall. And obviously the loss to Ohio state is pretty, is fine, whatever, but a team that lost to Marshall and to Stanford just beat Clemson by twenty-one. I mean, it. There is no way that Clemson should be in the top ten. No ACC team is in the top ten. Frankly, you could make the argument that only Clemson and North Carolina really deserve to be ranked. I would throw NC State in there too, but I don't. I don't think Wake Forest deserves to be ranked anymore. Uh, I don't believe in Florida State either. And uh, look, the other thing is that Notre Dame has not lost a game against an ACC team. Since uh 2017, when they lost to Miami on the road, when they played in the ACC during the COVID season, they won the conference. That is regular season games. I should mention because then they lost the rematch with Clemson uh in the ACC championship game. But if Notre Dame is able to run through the ACC for four years, when they keep because they you know they have that scheduling thing with uh the ACC where they play where Notre Dame plays a lot of ACC teams. I um, mean it's basically considered as like a pseudo conference game for the ACC. Uh, but when you look at that and, and you consider that dimension of it, Notre Dame also has gone to the playoff and every single time they've been in there, they've gotten absolutely demolished by whoever they played. So the ACC is below Notre Dame and Notre Dame is already way below the playoff caliber teams. You know, for a fact that this conference is not better than the big 10, the two eight and no teams in the big 10 absolutely should have been had a Clemson and Oklahoma when they were in the playoff year after year after year, put up way better fights The Notre Dame did. We need to stop harping on the fact that Clemson and Alabama played like, what, three out of four championship games like six years ago? Because it's six years ago at this point. It was forever ago. Deshaun Watson was in college. Trevor Lawrence wasn't even at Clemson yet. I mean, they were good a long time ago at this point. And we need to throw away the reputation that Clemson and Alabama just have to be good just because they are who they are. And speaking of Alabama, they are now a two loss team with LSU in control. Of their division in the sec after lsu beat clemson or sorry beat alabama uh 32 to 31 in overtime uh you were watching this game with me as soon as lsu was actually not even when they had scored the touchdown i said middle in the middle of the run if he scores here you got to go for two and uh brian kelly sensed that he sensed the moment he uh he got the advantage this is why you take this is why you go on defense first in overtime because not only if the other team kicks a field goal and you know you only need a touchdown, but also if they score a touchdown, they're not going to go for two. They're going to kick the extra point because they kind of have to. So you force their hand and then you make a decision whether you feel you can compete with them back and forth in overtime. And if you don't feel like you can do that, then you put all the game on on one place hands. That's exactly what LSU did. It worked out perfectly. They stole a win from Alabama. Alabama just kind of shot themselves in the foot with penalties and just a lack of execution um they really were horrible in the red zone and that came back to bite them in this game they kicked way too many field goals they were only up 9 to 7 or sorry it was 9 to 7 at some point in the third quarter and they had three scoring drives lsu still only had one that was sparked by an alabama turnover in their own territory so lsu barely got anything going offensively in the first half and yet took a halftime lead bama wasn't able to really capitalize on anything and just in general it was just a whole lack of execution Uh, from Alabama, and they just played pretty poorly. They are definitely not going to be in the playoff because they are a two-loss team. Uh, Although, LSU probably just opened the door to be the first team to actually make the playoff as a two-loss team because they're probably going to jump to six or seven this week. Uh, You know they're jumping Clemson. You know they're jumping Alabama. um, And that at least puts them at eight. I would take a guess and say that they will probably go ahead of USC, who's currently ranked ahead of them just because of the strength of their win, uh, over Alabama, they're probably going to end up in the seven or six range. And then at that point, they're going to have to beat Tennessee or Georgia, uh, in the SEC championship game, which as we now know, will probably be Georgia, unless Georgia has a meltdown at the end of the season. Um, but if they beat the number one team in the country, which Georgia will be, uh, by the start of next week and probably throughout the rest of the season, and they win the SEC, then all of a sudden you really can't deny that team from a playoff, unless you have all undefeated champions, in other conferences, um, and maybe by proxy, Oregon is kind of in that battle where LSU would be a two-loss team with a win over Georgia, and Oregon, even if they win the conference with one loss, would be a one-loss team as a Pac-12 champion, but also with a horrible loss against Georgia while LSU had would have beaten Georgia, so you throw that in there, Georgia would still make it over Oregon, LSU would probably make it because they kind of have to at that point, And then you're looking at the winner of the Michigan-Ohio State game in the Big Ten Championship. And then probably you're looking at TCU as a Big 12 champion if they're able to make it all the way undefeated. And those are your four teams. So it'll be a very interesting playoff race. Um, But I think LSU has truly opened the door for a two-loss team to finally make it. They had the dream scenario. They had a very fluky non-conference loss against a team that might end up in the top 25 by the end of the year in Florida State. And they lost by one. And then they had a dominant win over Ole Miss – who's also a top 10 team, uh, probably come next week. And then another win over Alabama, another top 10 team. Then if they were to beat Georgia, they would have beaten number one. So they would have three top 10 wins, including a win over number one and a conference championship, which should be enough to be in the playoff. I don't exactly remember who LSU's other loss was to, but it was an in-conference loss. But to be quite honest, it doesn't really matter. Um, They have the resume probably strong enough. It may have been Mississippi State. I probably was. Um, And they're not that bad themselves. They're they're, kind of borderline ranked team anyway. Uh, But then the probably the biggest upset of the weekend was Michigan State beating number 16, Illinois, on the road 23 to 15. It just goes to show you how much worse the Big Ten West is than the Big Ten East. When you look at the ACC and talk about a weak conference, I compare it a lot to the Big Ten West because the Big Ten East, I mean, Michigan State, you can make the argument is the worst team in the Big Ten West. It's probably not a good argument, but. They're certainly down there. I think Maryland is better than Michigan State. Obviously, the three ranked teams, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State are better. They're at least, at, at, at best, they're the fifth best team in that division. Maybe Rutgers is even better. Who knows? But that the fact that that team could go on the road and beat Illinois, the best team in the Big Ten West, just goes to show you that division is awful. Um, it always is. We saw what happened when Michigan played an Iowa team that at some point was number was number two in the country last year. They won 42 to 3 in the Big Ten championship game. And it really happens every year. I mean, Ohio State has consistently dominated it. I don't even remember the last time a Big Ten West team won the conference championship, but the Big Ten East, way better than the Big Ten West. Um, and just in general, this was just a huge upset. It 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 frankly, it'll weaken Michigan's resume come playoff time because Illinois might not even be a ranked win anymore. Um, at that point, after if Michigan's able to beat them, that because they'll be a three loss team with a loss to an under 500 team, actually to two under 500 teams because they lost to Indiana at the beginning yes. of the season. Um, so I- Illinois has some really bad losses. Um, they have some decent wins, but all of their wins that were over ranked opponents, those opponents are no longer ranked because they were only ranked because they were undefeated in the Big Ten West, like Purdue and Minnesota, and those teams aren't ranked anymore. They're not held in high regard. Iowa's included in that list as well. Uh, Illinois doesn't really have a quality win, and if they don't beat Michigan, they're not going to get one all season long. So that will hurt the resume of both Michigan and Ohio State, just relatively uh, in conference and metrics at, at least. Um, and definitely Michigan with who they've beaten. But in general, probably doesn't affect the whole Big Ten race that much, but Illinois really had a, had a pretty smooth path to Indy. They just had to win this game and win one of the next two. Uh, and when, well, win this game, probably just win one of the next two That's and lose to Michigan, and then they'll be fine. Um, but because they lost this game, Now things are a little more dire for the Illini, and we might have a five-team Big Ten West tie.
0: Yeah, I mean, the winner of the Michigan-Ohio State game will have enough of an impressive win on their resume by virtue of that game to overcome the the weakness of the rest of their schedule. Well, going from the unimpressive Illinois, give me your most impressive team of the weekend.
1: Well, there was only one team that deserved to be in this category. It was Georgia. Um, I don't really understand why Tennessee was ranked number one in the first place. I have a lot of issues actually with the playoffs rankings this year, but it it, it feels like they kind of just threw away, um, not necessarily eye test, but just threw away. Yeah, no, threw away the eye test and just decided that they were going to go only metrics based and then ignore metrics for some teams uh, completely ignore head to head matchups because USC is the highest ranked team in the PAC 12 outside of Oregon, despite losing to Utah um, who lost to UCLA, which means that UCLA and Utah are probably better than USC. That's a whole different discussion, but Tennessee probably didn't deserve to be number one. And it was just that, you know, everybody thought they had the quote unquote best win of the year. Well, Georgia is Georgia. If you have been watching this team this year, which I hope the playoff committee was, they look better than they did last season. And last season, in case you don't remember, they won the national championship game. So if a team is undefeated, won the national championship last year, and looks better than they did last year in this season... How are they not number one? I don't know, but if if anybody needed any reassurance that Georgia is better this year than last year, although their, their defense is definitely downgraded a little bit, but I think the margin that they got better on offense is actually greater than the margin that they got worse on defense, and I think overall they are a better team, and they're a more well-rounded team because they went from maybe the best defense of all time to probably only, quote-unquote, the best defense in the country, um, and then their offense might also be the best in the country, so Georgia might be taking over the reins of the SEC in general, uh, but this season is just proof that that program is sustainable. They have lost a lot of talent. They lost nine starters from their defense, and like six of them won in the first round, and yet here they are still holding the number one offense in the country, mind you, to 13 points, and really one of them was just a fourth-quarter garbage-time touchdown. So Georgia just looked great. And I'm even saying that their offense is better than their defense this season. And they still held number one scoring offense in the country to 13 points. There's nothing that can say that this team isn't number one in the country. They should be a unanimous number one in pretty much every poll that there is.
0: Agreed. Uh, I think we'll see all that rectified tonight when the uh, new rankings come out. All right, let's move quickly to the best road wins of the weekend.
1: UCF number 25 in the country beat Memphis 35 to 28. Memphis is always a tough out. They're not having a great season this year. Uh, but still a good win by UCF. Michigan, number five in the country, beat Rutgers 52-17. to 17. This was not really a good win, per se, but I, I thought it was important that Michigan actually trailed in a game and faced some adversity because even still after this game, Michigan has not trailed in the fourth quarter once the entire season. Um, but, you know, Rutgers had a 17-14 to 14 halftime lead. Michigan played sloppy. They had a punt blocked in return for a touchdown had a drop slash overthrow on a play that could have been a touchdown. um, That was literally the play right before the blocked punt that Rutgers uh, took back for a touchdown. So for Michigan to come out in the second half and completely blank Rutgers and go 38 to nothing um, and 28 to nothing in the third quarter, when a team can wake up and flip that switch, uh, we've seen it with the Warriors in the past. Now Michigan is not, Michigan does not have the same offense that the Warriors do if you're going to compare cross sport, but That ability to just kind of wake up and just win a game because you just have more talent than the other team and you just use it properly um, and you adjust at halftime well is just something that only really great teams have. Um, And Clemson obviously is not one of those teams, but Michigan very clearly is. Um, And then finally, you have number 24, Texas, who went on the road, beat number 13, Kansas State. Kansas State actually had a chance to win this game or at least tie this game at the end, uh, but they fumbled on their final drive with about... 35-ish seconds left on Texas's 35 or 40-yard line. Um, But Texas was able to pull out the win in a close game.
0: Okay, any other quick takes
1: from across uh, college football week 10 action? Well, this was just one of those weeks where every top team was in danger of losing at some point, except one team, Georgia. Now Georgia has the best win of the country, overtaking Tennessee's win over uh, Alabama um, because they beat Tennessee, and they dominated throughout the game. And As I said, they deserve the number one ranking this week for sure.
0: All right, and uh, you failed to mention Ohio State struggles, but I just took care of that one uh, as the only other quick take against uh, Northwestern. Uh, let's uh, move on from college football to our last weekly review of Major League Baseball.
1: Well, I don't like that you threw the Ohio State thing in there at the end, I so I'm going to gonna address it really quick. Uh, I don't think anybody can play well in that weather, although C.J. Stroud does have a very specific problem with anything that's not like sunny and like sixty degrees at least, um, which is very weird because he does play in the Big Ten. But hey, I'm from California too, so I get it. I'm I'm, I'm struggling with uh bad weather and wind for sure. Uh, but I'm also not a D1 quarterback, so I don't need to be equipped to deal with it that well. But now let's move on to the World Series. Uh, speaking of a team who wasn't equipped to deal with stuff very well, the Phillies won Game Three, seven and nothing, then proceeded to score three runs combined for the next three games as the Astros won Game Four, five and six. Five to nothing, three to two, four to one, en route to a World Series victory. I really don't have much to say because I predicted this series exactly how I thought it would go. I thought that if the Phillies, to I said the Phillies would take one game if they were able to beat the Astros in a little bit of a shootout where both of the starting pitchers melt down. That was Wheeler or Nola and Verlander's meltdown. Um, the the Phillies got that game. I said if they didn't, the Astros would win in five, and if they did, they'd win, the, the Astros would still win in six. Um, I said the Phillies would take one game in Philly. They did that. And then the Astros just turned it on, won the final two games in Philly, actually, and then won that last game at home. So exactly as I predicted, kind of sad to say that because, you know, the Phillies did keep all these games somewhat closer than game four, which was cool because, you know, the games were actually fun. And the Astros did throw a combined no hitter in game four, one of the three postseason no hitters of all time. Um, And it's also the second no hitter this season that Christian Javier has thrown six innings in, and then uh, Ryan Presley has finished off that, that uh, no-hitter. Uh, earlier, he did it against the ALCS uh, team, the Yankees, and then now he did it against the World Series runner-ups, the Phillies, so technically against the best other two teams in baseball. Sorry, Padres. Um, They have no-hit, both of them, and with Christian Javier, which is also funny because Christian Javier wasn't even a starter at the start of the season because they just have that much pitching talent. And he's thrown two no-hitters this season. He was their sixth starter to start the year. Two no-hitters, including one in a World Series game. It's insane the amount of talent that's on the Astros team, despite the fact that five years removed from a World Championship, they only have five players remaining from that roster, that being Alex Bregman, Yuli Gurriel, uh, Justin Verlander, Jose Altuve, uh, and martin maldonado it, it, it's crazy that 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 turnover has happened and they're still this good it it really is just a sign that the astros have built a winner and they deserve to win this title this year um the emergence of jordan alvarez as an possible perennial mvp candidate i mean he has some tough competition because shohei otani is going to be there every year as well and then aaron judge obviously had possibly the best hitting season of all time this year uh, any other year, Jordan would probably be a runaway MVP. He would have been the MVP if he was in the NL, for sure. Um, but look, he hit that bomb, that 450-foot home run uh, in Game 6 that that sealed the game away for the Astros. And uh, then you have Jeremy Pena, who in his rookie season matched the exact production of Carlos Correa, minus one RBI this year, and one World Series MVP. So that replacement obviously went very well. The Astros just show the belief in their players Um, They turn stuff. They're not afraid to lose a pitcher and replace him with someone who's 17. They're not afraid to lose their shortstop. Probably you could argue the heart of their team for years and replace him with another kid who's a rookie. Obviously, that being Jeremy Pena. And of course, he ended up with five postseason home runs and the World Series MVP. And then same thing with Kyle Tucker, too, taking over. He he, Not exactly taking over because he doesn't play center field, but being the replacement for George Springer as the guy who plays every day in the outfield, again, another turnover that worked perfectly for them. The Astros just, they know what they're doing. Their front office is very, very smart and very, very savvy. They deserve a lot of credit for it, and they absolutely deserve to win the World Series Um, this year. They probably, uh, not probably, they were the best team all year. The Dodgers, I hate to say it as a Dodgers fan, but... I had, I had my worries about Houston the entire season um, and they were proven right by Houston's dominance in the playoffs.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Congratulations to the Astros for winning a world series without cheating. That wraps up our look at major league baseball (laughs) for this week. uh, As a Dodger fan, I had to get it in there. I actually do feel good for the Astros this year and Dusty Baker, former Dodger, even though he's a former Giants manager, but feel good for Dusty Baker. Feel good for the, anytime a team uh, dominates like that and they can kind of cleanse off the stench of their prior world series when it's a good thing as a sports fan. So congrats to the Astros. They were the best team all year, especially with the Dodgers injuries to their pitching staff going down the stretch. Um, That wraps up our look at major league baseball for the week and for this season. Uh, But the NFL season continued this weekend. So let's take a look at week nine action, Patrick, with the best games of week nine. Well, we talked about the
1: Astros uh, kind of putting the pieces back together after winning a championship and then making it back to the top the Rams and the Buccaneers both won the last two Super Bowls. These A matchup like this with the last two Super Bowl champions has happened 27 times in the past, but only once have both teams been under 500 in that matchup. That is this year between the Rams and the Buccaneers. Stafford and Brady both look like they're old because they kind of are. Um, the offensive lines for both teams look horrible. Uh, at times, the Buccaneers' defense looks pretty bad. At times, the Rams, not at times, a lot of the time, the Rams defense looks pretty, pretty bad. Um, And just overall, the Buccaneers played a close game. Obviously, Brady led that comeback with 44 seconds left, Um, only 44 seconds to score. And they were able to score a touchdown to take the lead on the Rams, but mostly because of coverage failures and pass interference penalties and a bunch of things that the Rams did poorly rather than good things that the Bucs did. Um, and just in general, it's on best games. But really, both of these teams are massive disappointments this season. Um, to say that to say that they are disappointments is honestly an understatement. They're more than disappointments. Uh, the Falcons, despite losing this weekend to the Chargers, and I'll talk about that in a second, are still tied with the Buccaneers at the top of the NFC South. Um, look, the Buccaneers just, the Buccaneers aren't very good. The Rams are somehow going to lose in a year where the Seahawks traded away their franchise quarterback, the Seahawks are going to win the division and the Rams are going to miss the playoffs most likely. So the NFC West is kind of very, very odd. Um, it's probably the worst it's been in a while. Uh, but at the same time, the teams that have kind of come out of nowhere, the Seahawks, and I mean, not the 49ers they didn't really come out of nowhere, but they're kind of, they're going to be way better by the end of the season. Now that they have Christian McCaffrey, obviously, um, but the Seahawks have kind of come out of nowhere. We're going to talk about them later. And the Rams just look like they're dead in the water. Um, and the Buccaneers look like their only chance of making the playoff is just because of the fact that the Falcons are currently the division leader in the division they play in. And they really don't have anything um, of their own ability that they can pull out to really start playing better. I really think that nine weeks into a season, if you don't have your issues ironed out, you just have issues that you can't fix. Um, speaking of teams that don't have is- that have issues who... That you can't fix. I was going to say teams that don't, but I'll go with teams that will. The Bears lost this weekend, thirty-two to thirty-five, to the six and three Dolphins. Uh, the Dolphins look great. They are in a very, very contested divisional race now that the Bills are six and two and the Jets are six and three, um, and even the Patriots are five and four. So that race is looking very, very crazy uh, in the AFC East. That will be very fun to watch uh, by the end of the season. Obviously, the Patriots have this reputation of losing to the Dolphins, even when the Dolphins are horrible. Uh, just out of the blue. So it would be ironic if this season, all of a sudden the Dolphins would lose to the Patriots out of the blue when the Dolphins are clearly much better and much more talented than the Patriots, just throwing that out there. Um, but then look, the Char- the Dolphins just, they-, they played a good game. They played well on offense. They did exactly what they always do. I'm a little bit worried about their defense in terms of stopping playoff caliber teams because they've had issues with both the Lions and the Bears who are both uh, three and six and two and six three and six for the Bears, two and six for the Lions. So, you know, they've had their issues with some teams who, well, the Bears struggle more offensively than the Lions do, but they've had their issues with both of those teams. Don't really like to see that, but at the same time, their offense is still good enough to pull out the games. Uh, So who really cares? Then you have the Chargers who are five and three. Uh, They're not really challenging the Chiefs right now for the division. The Chiefs won the first head-to-head matchup. Uh, The Chargers have kind of looked weaker all year and just kind of benefited from pretty easy schedule while the Chiefs have dominated decent teams and beaten very very good teams by enough um but the chargers they won 20 17 over the falcons uh not much to say about this game you know the falcons aren't great and uh somehow they're four and five on the season they were 500 going into the week but the chargers need to win these games these types of games they got to make the afc wild card for sure that would be a big failure if they weren't able to do that this season with all the talent they have on their roster Um, and especially considering that one of the teams that they would be missing out on a playoff due to is probably the Jets. So that would just kind of be pretty embarrassing. Uh, But overall, the AFC West looks a lot weaker than we thought at the beginning of the season. Talking about another AFC West team, the Chiefs beat the Titans 20 to 17 in overtime. This was a classic example of playing down to your opponent. Um, The Titans just, they literally can only run the ball with Malik Willis Uh, playing quarterback. They did it against Houston and it worked because it's Houston, but against the chiefs, they really should not have been able to put this game in overtime. Honestly, Uh, they completely stalled out in the second half, I will mention. So the chiefs did way better on defense there, but the chiefs just should be able to kind of dominate this kind of a team. I mean, the 49ers, even with, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is, is better than Malik Willis, just period. He is, but even with that team, the 49ers got dominated by the chiefs. So I just don't get why the chiefs really struggled this game. It's not something you like to see, but at least we know that they're just playing down to their opponent rather than they're going to have some long-term struggles to be quite honest. Uh, But let's move on finally to the Vikings who beat the commanders by the same score of the chiefs Titans game 20 to 17. They had to make a comeback to beat Washington uh, with Taylor Heineke, which for some reason, Washington never starts him to start the season and they always look better with him. Um, But Here we go again with the same cycle. Kirk Cousins beats his old, his former team, and the Vikings are now seven and one. And with the Packers at three and six, which we'll talk about later, and the Bears at three and six and the Lions at two and six, you can kind of guarantee that the Vikings are in the playoffs already. They're probably the first team that you can say 100% is in the playoffs off of schedule and, uh, and and their record alone obviously there are teams like the bills who are just too talented to miss the playoffs probably and the same with the chiefs but the vikings not really because of their talent just because of the fact of the rest of their division and how horrible it is they're pretty much locked into the playoffs already
0: okay well let's uh move on to another pretty extensive list of the most impressive teams from week nine
1: well the seahawks beat the cardinals 31 to 21 i'm just still impressed every week that this team keeps going out and winning these games. Obviously Cardinals having a horrible season as well, making the Rams not last in the, in the NFC West. Um, But still the fact that the Seahawks are six and three at at this point in the season with Geno Smith as a starting quarterback is just insane. Maybe you could actually argue that Geno Smith is finally playing up to that number one overall pick potential that he had all those years ago, what 10 years ago at this point, I think. Um, which, by the way, that makes me feel really old because I remember following him in the draft and everything. Uh, But, you know, that aside, the Seahawks just look good. I mean, I I have nothing else to say about it. I'm going to stop putting them in most impressive teams for beating bad teams anymore. They're going to have to go out and beat some really good teams. They beat the Giants last week, which was part of that, uh, and why I was impressed with them last week. But they're going to have to beat some good teams in the future for me to be really impressed, but definitely a strong team. Uh, that is probably going to make the playoffs. I won't guarantee them quite like I did with the Vikings, but they should make the playoffs. Um, But the 49ers are still coming with very strong roster that could absolutely dethrone the Seahawks from their current first place position. Uh, Then you have the Jets. This was by far the most impressive win of the week. They beat the Bills. I mean, this is something that we never thought would happen. We thought that the Jets, based on schedule and, you know, Zach Wilson being a little bit shaky to start the season, that they were kind of a fluky team and that they really weren't, a top team but now after beating the bills you can kind of cement them as a real legit playoff contender i won't say they're going to be a super bowl contender but this is surely a win that goes a long way towards possibly making it into that category of teams not quite there um but they are still uh able to be uh in in playoff contention and uh you know I, i think that the jets do have a chance um to make the playoffs they definitely will make the playoffs And they will, we will see uh, what happens with that in the future. Um, Then you have the Patriots who beat the Colts 26 to three, an all out dominant defensive performance uh, by the Patriots. They scored a defensive touchdown, they blocked uh, a field goal. And just overall, the Colts just got nothing going offensively with Sam Ellinger at quarterback. Um, And it's credit to the Patriots defense. They're five and four now, they look good this season. Um, But overall, you like what you're seeing from the Patriots. Uh, somehow bouncing back after that ugly loss to the Bears. Um, So the Packers, finally, we're going to get to the Lions being impressive. I don't know why I'm putting a 2-6 and team as impressive. I'm just surprised that the Lions actually played good defense for a week. Um, But, and I had to talk about this game somewhere. Maybe you could say the Packers should be on their own most disappointing list. Um, But yeah, the Packers looked horrible. The Lions look great on defense, which is not a sentence that I've said ever this season. Um, And then you have the Bengals, who just came out and flat out destroyed the Panthers. Um, They forced the Panthers to change quarterbacks at the half. They forced them to go to PJ Walker or sorry, to leave PJ Walker behind and go to turn to Baker Mayfield uh, again after a 35 to nothing halftime lead that the Bengals had and Baker played better in the second half, but I don't know how much of that was the Bengals kind of just not trying because they knew they already had the game wrapped up. Uh, The Panthers now two and seven, the Bengals finally above 500 at five and four, looking a little bit like their past selves from last year.
0: Yeah, I mean you have the Lions there because they beat the Packers and that's an impressive feat for the Lions given their history. So Well, um, the Packers
1: are three and six this season and look like they could lose to anybody at this point, though. So not really yeah, that impressive.
0: And, and and I'll take a little editorial license here. Um the uh the Patriots went over the Colts was uh so impressive that the Colts went out and hired somebody who's never coached at any level as their head coach, Jeff Saturday. Um wow. That's not Talk true. About- he
1: was a coach in high school. He has coached uh, before.
0: Oh, he's coached high school. Okay, not
1: college. And he high, was also college pro level. And he was also a consultant for the Colts for the last few years. So he yeah. was technically he knows the football. He knows but football. But, he uh, himself even said that he was surprised that he got the text from Jimmy Orsay <laughs> that he was uh, in contention for it. And he was like, "I mean, if you want me, let's do it." And uh, who can blame him? I mean, if someone offered me an NFL head coaching job tomorrow, I would take it too. Uh, exactly. I would do well, but I would take it.
0: Exactly. All right. Well, besides the the, the Jeff Saturday take. Um, Any other quick takes from uh, other games across NFL week nine action?
1: I got nothing. I kind of already covered all the big teams. I mean, I covered 10 games and I think six teams were on by. So I maybe skipped over two or three games in general. Uh, and we probably didn't learn very much about those teams in those games.
0: Nope. All right. Well, then that wraps up our look at the NFL for this week. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, November 15th. Where we will once again recap Patrick's weekend predictions, have our first weekly look at NBA action. Didn't have time to squeeze it in this week. Uh, we will look back at the highlights from week 11 of college football action and discuss week 10 of the NFL. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including our weekly college football rankings that were posted on Monday, his NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will updated out, be updated on Wednesday. His preseason bracket is already up on the website. Uh, And then Patrick's picks for next weekend's games that will be posted as always on Thursdays. All of that content is on our website, fourthand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.